That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Fobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. Dr. David Miller, ND here. Michelle Pobig, ND, what's up? Hello, and Dr. Jonathan Beattie, ND, today. Yeah. Three, it's, we, have the, we have a really good trifecta of like-minded souls on the podcast. We asked, Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Uh, we asked Dr. Beattie to come back because uh, we love this episode. We're selfish. We're selfish. We just we want to look at your brain more. <laughs> but we do know that you have a very uh oh. invested focus in autistic spectrum disorder and i've known that for years now because that's how i learned I... about this one story about a, a child with gluten i'm going to share it on the podcast and i remember you talked to us about this and this always stands in my mind and i still use it as an example for my clients to be like this is how much it destroys our gut um it was autistic spectrum child i think she was a girl her parents did everything according to your speculations or, or specifications and nothing was changing with her symptoms. And then they found her licking the backs of her stickers and they tested it and there was gluten in the glue. And then they had to confiscate the stickers and then she finally started to get better. And that was just a, a huge example of how much this protein can cause leaky gut and mood and behavioral issues and all these things. And that story still stands out to this day. So I've always wanted to bring it you back on the show. In your to mind, talk about you could that. say? Sure does. Like gluten. It's like gluten right. in my mind. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Drug seeking behavior. That's that was the like the point of it was opiopeptides and how they literally removed from yeah, it was a little two-year-old girl and her older brother was on the spectrum and she was starting to show signs and said, Yeah, we went gluten-free and she started licking stickers all the time. And then we switched to um not not a product plug, but 3M uses non-gluten adhesives in their stickers. And yeah, I, I had to do a little research on that one, figured that out. And sent the parents to go buy the fancy, expensive stickers that were gluten free. And uh, yeah, within a week, she stopped. And also, all of her like sort of pre autism signs went away. Hmm. Right. I love that story to this day. It's still like stands out. And that's because of you, Jonathan. And I tell it to my clients <laughs> who are gluten skeptic. And I was like, well, get this. And they're like, oh, weird. <laughs> right. So. It- yeah, it's the ones you got to watch, like the shared toasters, all that kind of stuff, depending. Like most people aren't that sensitive, but yeah, you run into the odd ones that are like just like I've had a client and they couldn't walk into a bakery, like the, the flour in the air. Mm-hmm. Like right? a baker's asthma kind of thing? Pretty much. But it was yeah. like, yeah, like any, there was enough particulate gluten just crazy around. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, John, you could give us like a little bit of, a, like you just said, pre. ASD pre-autism spectrum uh, kind of symptoms. Like, are you, are you talking about the whisperings that an expert would know are pre, pre-autism sort of symptoms? Maybe you could talk about those. Yeah. So like autism is a, like they call it a spectrum disorder, right? So it's like, I'll say this, like, I don't really believe in the, the diagnosis of autism. I'm not trying to, to take away from anybody's experiences, but it's more it's a grouping of basically inflammatory inflammation that's interfering in normal development. And, and then, which is why you get such a spectrum of presentations with it. And so um, when we say sort of like pre-autism, you'll, you know, like a two-year-old child should be rather social by this point, they should look you in the eye when they're talking to you, even if you can't necessarily understand them, they'll have interest in others, you know, so you'll see some of the, like the social cues, and then there's some like neuromuscular stuff like toe walking is, is mm-hmm. very common. They'll tend to have some like hypertonicity. And so you'll see kids that will excessively toe walk, like they only walk on their toes. Mm. And then there's um, what they call stimming behavior, which is like auto self-stimulation. So it's usually a way of managing stressful situations or stress. 
And so it'll be hand flicking, um, waving, flapping, clapping, whistling. There's a lot of like ways in which kids are trying to process stress hormones and they don't have, you know, the skills or, or haven't developed proper ways of doing that. So you'll start to see it in all these little cues, right? And then that's ultimately, and, and delayed uh, sort of developmental milestones because you're looking at, like I always call them like neurodevelopmental conditions. Like I don't mm-hmm. really like, I mean, autism spectrum just gives it a name, makes it easy to identify. Um, but what you're essentially looking at is like, like neurodevelopmental disorders and it's like a big grouping of them. Um, and so, and, and again, nowadays, like I even argue it's, it's overdiagnosed, uh, a little right. bit because there's a checklist. It's like ADHD, right? Like, Oh, you know, eight year old boy doesn't sit still in class. And like, a lot of it is like, you know, the teacher's response or, or interpretation is like, is this kid actually ADHD or is like, do they need to run around? Right. Like in, in, and, and it's not necessarily easy to identify which is which all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there is, there, there is a lot of, I mean, experience does play a huge role in this, but then it's just also like there's training, there's all sorts of uh, questionnaires and assessment tools you can use to really identify, you know, who needs it and who doesn't. Um, like it used to be called defeat autism now and Dan, and now it's autism one. And there's whole sort of like progression checklists that you can use that get into like verbal communication, nonverbal communication, and it goes down and you can kind of like rate and score kids because then that also allows you to see where you're making progress and where you're not. So I've, I've liked that tool over the years. Um, and I can send you a link to it. I'm, I'm spacing on the exact name of it. Cause it's just my, in, in, my file is called autism checklist. Um, and I can't remember the actual name of it cause that's what I know it as. Um, and you can use that to kind of assess, you know, what is the likelihood that we're dealing with autism? But again, within that you'll use like, I don't know if you guys have heard of pandas, yep. fragile X. And so you get these overlaps where sometimes there's genetic conditions. Sometimes there's, um, you know, infection causes, which they're an autism diagnosis until, you discover they've got a strep infection and then they're a pandas case, mm-hmm. right? It's like that, like Jenny McCarthy was kind of famous for that. Cause she, of course, you know, got diagnosed, her child got diagnosed, you know, she thought it was a vaccine injury. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word in Ontario, but yeah, you're allowed here. In, uh, well, and it's discussing somebody's experience. So, and, uh, and then anyway, so then she, she recovered her son, um, but people say, oh, well, it wasn't vaccine because she actually got another diagnosis as to a neurodevelopmental condition for her son. So then they're like, well, it couldn't have been a vaccine injury. Um, and, uh, and I would say like a big thing to look at in your research is how you frame a question. Hmm. So do vaccines cause autism or can vaccines cause autism? Hmm. And how you ask the question leads to a very different outcome because do means it's the one single solitary only cause of that condition ever. And if it doesn't satisfy all cases, then it's not the cause. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. Being precise with your language with stuff like that is really important. I think John. Oh, you can commit all sorts of scientific fraud by simply asking the right or the wrong question, depending on what you're trying to prove. And yeah. And, and do versus can is a huge one. I see all the time in a variety of areas because it's anytime you have a multifactorial condition, you, you have to look at a can, you know, it's right. like, mm-hmm. like the smoking industry got away with that for lung cancer for a long time because the Japanese were notoriously high smokers and then, but they had low lung cancer rates. So that was always the, you know, does smoking cause lung cancer? Mm-hmm. And as everyone was trying to prove it, there was this one little like, oh, we've got these studies from Japan that shows it doesn't. So that was the big you know, that's what it took so long to get regulation in the tobacco industry. All that money. Yeah. <laughs> Lobbyists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Language is really interesting. Asking the right questions. And and you know what? I find a lot of things are multifactorial. It's more often than not, not just one thing. You might have a vulnerability or a predisposition. There might be gut inflammation and it's just layers. And then it's like the straw that broke the camel's back. So sometimes it's not just the singular thing. It's the accumulation of things, right? So... Right. And that's like, that's what I've seen. And I've like, I've even seen, I've had cases where I had a down syndrome child who was also diagnosed autism. 
Hmm. And it was because people with Downs usually like trisomy are usually very uh, social. Mm-hmm. And so when you see somebody who's Down syndrome, and it took forever for him to get diagnosed, but it was the like the lack of verbal, the lack of social skills and like, and social wants where people mm-hmm. try to be 21 tend to be very, very hypersocial. Like it's mm-hmm. the extreme opposite of that. And so, and, and that child, we were able to, again, kind of recover him back, um, which was really awesome to see. Yeah. Cause he, he was a great kid. He was, he was a lot of fun. Um, like, yeah. The one thing I'll say with the autism world is, I, like I encourage all doctors to to sort of like take on the challenge um, because it's really just naturopathy. Mm-hmm. What you're looking for is it's it's getting an underlying cause. Like you can do therapies like ABA and IBI therapies for managing symptom presentations and teaching skills. What kind but, of therapy? Uh, ABA and IBI. They're all like they're behavior therapies, mm-hmm. right? And and so a lot of it is like how you help that individual cope in society, um, which is a little bit of a round peg square hole kind of situation. Yeah. Um, Cause like some of these kids have absolute superpowers. Like they're, you know, I've got one child and his, his 3d spatial uh, capacity, like he needs to be a, a carpenter, some sort of like stonemason, like work with his hands and build because he can see things and designs like, you, like, like in that, um, uh, like savantism type approach, mm-hmm. but, but his written and verbal communication is not great. Mm-hmm. He, he, his verbal is actually not too bad. He, he, his written communication, his ability to understand written communication is very, very poor. Um, so like he's never, he's probably not going to be a writer, but in the right situation. And if you pair him with like, get him a, an accountant you trust and a business manager that you trust, this guy would have, like he'd have a carpentry woodworking business by the time he's 19 that would, mm-hmm. you know, and, and his, you know, his capacity to thrive in life is there, you know, right. just, and, but he's going to fail in school because he can't write an essay. Right. And I was right? going to ask that, like, there is that, there is that idea that some, or, or this, I don't know, murmurings that, you know, kid people with autism sometimes have very unique abilities. Um, and I was listening to a really interesting podcast podcast with Dr. Jack Cruz. Um, he used to be a nerd. He's wild, I love it was Jack. Hit, but it, it was hard to listen to him to a little bit because I find that he kept trying to cut off Andrew Huberman and like, about, like almost one up him. And I was like, okay, just let him see what he has to say. But anyways, he was brilliant. It was him, Rick Roll and Andrew Huberman. It was a two-parter and each of them were like three hours and I'm still making my way through it. But there was a conversation about someone who was blind or something and he helped them get their vision back but before that but while they were still visually impaired some of their musical skills were outstanding and it was almost like when you lose the ability in one area it's almost like it sharpens your ability in the other he's like so what do we do do we kill the artistic and the brilliance to create more of a status quo or do we like he's like he was like what's the there was an interesting argument about that too Right. Do you, do you get rid of Picasso um, and like force him to just be like, you know, generic person because they're, they're different from society's expectations. That's a conversation I have with every parent because the question ultimately becomes like, what is your expectation of treatment? What are you looking for? What do you want? And why do you want it? Mm -hmm. Um, Because there are these things of like, you know, so, and, and again, some of the children are just, globally impaired and that obviously I those are pretty easy to say like let's fix everything mm-hmm. but then some you know you're like your kids got superpowers and yeah like by the, the the standard of the school standard they're not successful but does your kid have potential to be you know like you know uh, an absolute genius in their field yes mm-hmm. and so this like I remember meeting one child and, and he came to see me and uh, his parents were of Russian descent and this kid like at five years old knew everything there was about the uh, cosmonaut program, like the Russian space program, like to the point that I remember him, he had a little model with him one day. He was asking his dad, he's like, dad, do you know what this is? And the dad's like, I don't know, like the escape hatch. And he's like, no father, this is the, you know, um, auxiliary tool cabinet so that if the astronauts got stuck outside of the space capsule, they would be able to remove the emergency hatch door and, and regain entry. And like he was explaining, I'm going, this kid's five. And he would come into my office and sit and read my physiology textbooks 
while his parents, <laughs> like he's reading like medical physiology textbooks while his parents were having conversations with me about how to manage him. And I'm going like, I don't like, I don't know how much we want to fix here. Like, <laughs> is, uh, you know, I'm looking at this kid going, like, this kid just gets it. He knows like he's so smart. And his problem is he's just, they're like, well, he doesn't get along with a lot of like other five-year-olds. I'm like, right. Cause the kid's as smart as most 30 year olds. Like that's smarter. Yeah, he's smarter. smarter. <laughs> like he's not going to get along with the other five-year-olds. You're right. Like, yeah. He's going to struggle socially, which is, which is tough, but he's also like wicked like wickedly incredibly smart mm-hmm. so you got you, you got to look in that and and then also can you just fix some of the stuff without re- and then the question becomes yeah can you repair some of the issues without hindering the others because mm-hmm. it gets into um, glial cell activation this is like the mechanism of autism right so if, if you're listening to jack cruz you'll get into this shortly oh my, God, um, my mind blows whenever i listen to stuff he talks about it's a lot it's yeah. dense it's, I, I love it. It's, awesome. I, yeah, it, um, but it, it gets into the idea. And this is one of the things we don't, cause we don't have the one limitation I'll say that we run into in the autism world is, uh, testing. So people want to like, everything's evidence informed, evidence-based medicine, whatever the heck you want to call it. I'm I, like, I came out of school all gung ho. Oh yeah. I'm going to do evidence-based medicine. It's science is the key to everything. And then you start to realize after you research everything, the limitations to mm-hmm. the evidence. And there's a phrase I love, the, the absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use that with patients all the time. So like, where's the study? And I'm like, well, there's no money in this. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, exactly. like you don't have a, 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 like you don't have a, a, a patent that you're going to get out of this research. You don't have a product you're going to sell. You're, you're yeah. probably not getting that research done in a university level. And also then the thing, the other factor is there's, there's research um, that can be done, but then there's clinical studies, right? Like, like, and, and our, and our access clinically to some of these um, ideas. And so like, like glial cells, right. You know, it's, it's one of the, it's the unique immune system. So glial is like the glue cells of the nervous system, but they're actually both the immune system of the nervous system, as well as the remodeling system of the, of the nervous system. So it's getting away from that military industrial complex approach of, um, of the immune system and looking at more as like a janitorial service, but that it's also involved in, in repair. And so your glial cells are, are constantly remodeling your brain. So as we learn new ideas, like as I'm talking, if I'm connecting neurons for you guys and different ideas, your glial cells are actively reconnecting all your neurons to make things make more sense to you. But they're also preventing infections, clearing out metabolic byproducts, clearing waste products, clearing toxins, addressing, you know, breaches in your blood brain barrier. And if they're too busy with immune activation and like and an inflammatory cascade, they're not remodeling properly. So I've, I've heard of some people kind of describe in some cases autism. It's almost like if you're watching TV and, you know, the screen and then you change channels and the, the next screen's on top and then the next screen's on top, the next screen's on top, but they, none of them go away. So you get very noisy visual stimuli, very noisy auditory stimuli, and it's just hard for them to kind of see through. And it's because their glial cells aren't able to kind of like reposition all the different neurons. If that's... So, John, does does excitotoxicity and uh, like glutamate come into this at all? Like just the cells being being in a generally uh, more excited state and then ending up with like glutamate, uh, which is, you know, excitotoxic sort of end product. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a a huge one we see. And um, so, yeah, glutamate toxicity comes in, salicylate toxicity can come in again because of its capacity to disrupt the blood-brain barrier and the, the gut barrier. And so that's the other one is when you see something that typically disrupts, uh, like causes a zonulin release and disrupts mm-hmm. the tight gap junction proteins of the gut, you're typically seeing the exact same process occur at the brain level. So you see those like zonulin elevations and you can do zonulin testing. Um, and I just love saying zonulin because it sounds like a bad guy in a sci-fi <laughs> film. But when you see that zonulin, like you know you've got a leaky brain, 
And now you're going to have all this immune activation ongoing in the person's brain. And then depending on what level of development and what level of inflammation, that's where you're going to, you know, sort of see the, the different severities of the condition. And then it gets dirty because we don't have a way of studying glial cell activation at a mm -hmm. clinical level. Mm -hmm. And so you're using a lot of very indirect stuff. This is where, you know, you can do antibody testing. Cool. Glial cells don't care. Like, I mean, they mm -hmm. do, but they, that's, it's a whole other system, right? Like your glial cells aren't touching your blood. They're in your nerve, central nervous system. Mm -hmm. And you also have, this is the other one where, where you see the huge gut association in autism. Well, glial cells operate, you know, a huge chunk of your immune system in your intestine. You know, you think your enteric nervous system is the largest nervous system in the body, right? Rolled up in a ball bigger than your brain. Well, it's, it's also all glial cells down there. So we have this whole glial cell system feeding back to our central nervous system um, that comes from the gut, which is why so much autism work is gut-based. Glial okay. cells are yeah. in the gut, part of the a part of the enteric nervous system. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So uh, that's, that also connects that whole gut brain connection even more again, deeply because of the, one. because of the, the similarities with the structure. So then they, right. another one, another one for gut health. Oh, yeah. Another one for gut health. And it's like, again, that's that part of immunology. We just don't get taught in med school, right? Like it's mm -hmm. like, I, I would argue that actually our, our immunology training, um, no offense to any of the medical schools, but it's just abhorrently antiquated. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's it's way out of date, and it and it follows a trying to figure out the polite, politically correct way to say this, but let's just say that here, John. Yeah, the the, the way it like it is. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's just say it's it, it's drug driven. It's treatment driven. Yeah, like it, 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 we need to believe it works the way it does in order to accept yes. accept certain procedures and. Like, like antibodies are just ways of marking proteins. They don't necessarily mean that it's causing immune system activation. Yeah. That's, that's something like a lot of people miss. They're just, yeah. they're labeling molecules as part of the messaging system within the immune system. So like having an antibody to something doesn't mean a, that you have immunity to it. And it also doesn't mean that it's triggering any specific measurable reaction. And that doesn't mean I never do antibody testing. It's it it can have no. Some you just have to know the limitations of it, right? And exactly, and you just have to know that it's not gonna be. It's not like doing an antibody test is not gonna solve your case for you. Yeah, like it. You have to use that combination, you know, that in combination with other information in order to assess what the likelihood is of something happening, because we also don't have every target measured for antibodies. Yeah, right. Like you know, you see thyroiditis and you can, you know, okay, they don't have antithyroglobulin. They don't have thyroid receptor antibodies. They don't have antithyrotropin antibodies, um, you know, and, or anti-thyroid peroxidase. TPOs, yeah. Yeah. Anti-TPOs, sorry. Um, antibodies. But that doesn't mean there's not an autoimmune condition going on with thyroid. Mm -hmm. It just means those three aren't. Yeah. But yeah. we just do, you know, what are the other, what are the other cellular targets? Right. And that's yeah. that. Yeah. capacity that like the limitations that we often forget about in our right. studies. Yeah. Thyroiditis yeah. still, it's still an inflammatory response. So there's still right. inflammation that needs to be dealt with. So you got to find right. out what's causing the inflammation regardless. And there's regardless like still the antibodies. Yeah, exactly. And even <laughs> antibodies, the other one is a uh, cross reactivity, right? Which mm -hmm. is like one antibody is not necessarily exclusive to one protein. It can bind multiple proteins. Mm -hmm. So you think you're finding one thing and you're actually finding something else. Like, casein and, and gluten often overlap so mm -hmm. like they, they there's similar structure patterns in them and same thing with uh, again thyroid peroxidase there's some similar protein portions there with uh, gluten mm -hmm. which is why you see such a high association of uh, gluten enteropathies and thyroiditis mm -hmm. hashimoto's there, and grapes yeah there's another there's another one uh uh john to look at that i've seen is uh h pylori and uh mm -hmm. thyroid Oh yeah. Uh, huge. I, I treat that all the time. And even, and even within that, it's the idea that H pylori only exists in the stomach. Like I've gone to, if I do do testing, I've gone to uh, stool antigen uh, testing mm -hmm. for H pylori, just because I, you know, if you start reading the literature, you can find H pylori in the colon, you can find it. I mean, I do live cell microscopy. Middle ear. 
Yeah, middle ear, exactly. And then and you you get into this. Like I see a lot of H. pylori in, in the autistic community. Hmm. Um, I see I see a lot of thyroiditis in mm-hmm. children in the autism community, mm-hmm. which is like a very atypical one. And you start to look at like brain fog, inability to concentrate, depression, anxiety, and all of these mm-hmm. things can be triggered through thyroiditis. And especially if you see these kind of ebbs and flows in their symptomatology, consistent with something like you might see with a thyroid storm where, you know, and, and typically you'll see them go euthyroid when they're in that state. And what it is, is they're, as the thyroid cells die, they release T3 and T4 into the system. So their blood work normalizes. Jeez. But it's because of the thyroid storm that their blood works normalizing. So TSH, T3, T4 all normalize, antibodies skyrocket. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that, that outcome. And so it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's understanding all those complex processes. Um, and like, it's actually like autism is what got me into the autoimmune world. Because mm-hmm. it, there's so much just autoimmunity, and you'll often see one or both parents with a pre-existing autoimmune condition, mm-hmm. and then you got to wonder like what happens, you know, um, intrauter, like when they're uh, in utero, what yep. happens, you know, through breast milk and all the, you know, that like amazing process by which a child develops their immune system from mother's breast milk. Mm-hmm. and secretory antibodies again like moms secrete antibodies through their breast milk to baby is some of that and all babies have a leaky gut and a leaky brain so some of that now dictating because of mom's antibodies and and not to like throw blame on the parent it's not trying to create guilt but it's just trying to understand the process yeah there mm-hmm. right yeah. It's a careful it, it, one though because as soon as the mom realizes that she might be responsible for her child's autism presentation you can imagine the, like, that's a, that's an emotional <laughs> dorm. Yeah. I know yeah. it's yeah. hard to support moms and be, to, to be like, you didn't know. It's not like you did this intentionally and we're right. just figuring this out. And it's like, maybe even like three or four appointments in, or even like two appointments in you're like, oh, well, that's actually really interesting. Tidbits come up all the time that gives you information right. on how to connect the dots and it's nobody's fault. Even no. giving antibiotics like they were candies back in the 80s. We didn't know any better. <laughs> right. Gotten your infection, right. antibiotic. Yeah. Right. To, to that, there's even the the like the biome um, aspect of autism, right? Where there, um, there used to be, there was an old uh, nature of things with David Suzuki on this, and it was called the autism enigma. And it was looking at certain groups. So specifically in Canada, we have a high number of Somali refugees. Um, because of the war in Somalia, uh, and they eat a very traditional diet. They're very, very different from our own, and they have a very, very different gut biome. And then you take them from Somalia and move them to Canada, completely different world, lack of sunlight, Jack Cruz, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> completely different part of the world, completely different exposure to sunlight, electromagnetism, uh, completely different diet. And one of the things they were finding was they were using vancomycin, so a very powerful antibiotic, and neutralizing the autism symptoms. Hmm. And so the, mecha- the, yeah, the mechanism seems to be uh, like a dysbiotic, where there's not necessarily an identified pathogen as yet, but that an antibiotic therapy was capable of reversing the autism symptoms. And I've seen that repeatedly in, in some of my patients and I've had patients like much, it's like the very non-naturopathic approach where, you know, we're working with their pediatricians trying to get them on, you know, six months of antibiotics at a time. Mm-hmm. And again, cause you know, in all honesty, we don't, we don't know. So is it, you know, people are like, Oh, you can't take antibiotics for six months. You'll wreck their biome. Like, I'm sorry, their biomes inducing their autism. Like yeah. it's not, it, you, you, yeah, we're trying to wreck their biome. Now mm-hmm. I would love to find a better way, but uh, you know, when you see it work, how do you tell a parent like, Oh no, that's bad. You're going to wreck their gut biome and possibly recover their child. Right. Mm-hmm. Like possibly reduce or, or I, I don't even like the word recover. I always say like improve their life experience. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's way better because, and, and that's really related to something I wanted to ask both, well, you specifically, John, and you, but you both brought it up, which is that, like, how much of this do we want to treat? You know, like, it's, 
and and you hear a lot of this neurodivergence or your whatever like it's hard to know who's going to slam you for saying this is good or bad or whatever but i was just going to ask you john just from your practical experience with it like what are the most what like exactly what you said what compromises the life experience of these kids the most and I'm going to load you up with them. I was thinking about the social side of being a primate, you know, and if, if there's compromises in social behavioral uh, interaction, that, that has whole health, uh, massive whole health uh, tentacles. Right. So I was going to ask you, like, that's my, I don't, I don't work with these kids a lot, but I wanted to say like, that's the part that I'd be most worried about. I guess if I was a parent, let's say of a child with autism, what are your most like, concerning things where you can really say yeah we probably should focus a little bit on that and not say it's bad but yeah it's something we should focus on so my my a number one first goal always is communication mm-hmm. so improving the child's communication system or, or adults so because i do work with uh, autism uh, adults on the spectrum as well um so it's improving capacity for communication uh ideally verbal if possible because that's always the least frustrating um, but creating a system by which the child can communicate and teaching the parents how to listen for it and, and understand it, because that reduces the stress usually on the family and on the child uh, dramatically. And then that improves social because they may have like really, you know, uh, different um, interests than all of the, their peers. And they may be like hyper, hyper focused and you know, hyper-focused on like trains and know every kind of train and every engine. You know what though? There's some random person out there that has that same interest and they, the two of them will find each other and geek out and become best friends, right? Like right. it's, there's always somebody out there that's interested in something. And so it's like, it's, it's letting them be their authentic self, but like reducing their, their stress, their frustration and, and I, I loved your approach of like, hey, we're primates, we need that like social connection. And that's what we try to ultimately like provide for them is the capacity to be able to do that, like to be, mm-hmm. to be able to actually look, um, you know, like, like find their peers and, and find people that bring them joy, regardless of, of what, you know, how strange others may find it. As long as they're happy, I don't like no judgment. Um, I'm a weird dude myself, so I, I get it. Um, like there's, well, I, I was probably, I probably would have been diagnosed to some level spectrum in, in the past anyway, <laughs> definitely ADD, ADHD, um, which I've, I, I created systems when I was younger and, and now, and, and still kind yes. of use them. Um, and, but you know, it, it hasn't, you know, I've, I've been able to like socialize and, and create things, but you know, my wife often bugs me, but my inability to read the emotion in a room. And when other people are bored of me talking, um, she teases me about it all the time. And I always remind her that I don't actually care. Um, I talk to entertain myself. Uh, so, you know, like maybe this is why I love working with people on the spectrum because, you know, uh, we love ourselves. Uh, and, but yeah, that's, that's the big one that I always focus on with people is that, that, that social side and that communication side and then everything else is, is gravy. If we can improve their like written community, well, you know, written communication, their stimming, whatever their behaviors are. Um, we work on that because you see a lot of like comorbidities, like tick disorders, but again, like it's, we just add all these labels to neural inflammation, right? Right. Like Mm -hmm. the, the be all end all of it is that it's all just symptoms of that which then right. you have to find out what the cause of causing that inflammation is. So it's deeper exactly. than just the symptom label, which is what back to naturopathic medicine 101, you don't treat the right. symptom. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I got very intimidated when I first, how I got into this was a, a, a family brought their four-year-old child to me with uh, severe GI issues. And I, and we did a food sensitivity test, figured out the kid had all these allergies very low functioning on the spectrum, nonverbal, the whole nine. And within six weeks, like this is one of those like results, not typical across my commercial. Um, six weeks, kid walks right in my office. Hey, Dr. Beatty. And I'm like flipping through the file. Like what? Like this is, what are we talking about? Like this kid doesn't talk. How did he just say hi, Dr. Beatty? Cool. Like how does he know my name? And like, I still kind of get chills every time I tell this story. And mom comes around the corner just tears streaming down her face like my child my child and but he was in a, a class with other special needs children and of course they're all looking going hey how'd you get your kid to talk 
and my phone starts ringing <laughs> off the hook and I'm like, I'm, you know, fresh in practice, completely yeah. overwhelmed, you know, just threw a dart in the dark and hit a bullseye somehow. And now everybody else wants that magic. And I'm going, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like way over in a way over my head. So I found a Dan training in, in Chicago, got in my car, drove to Chicago, spent a weekend there. But what blew my mind is while I was in that training for like, like a practitioner training, and it was just like, be a naturopath. It was like, try to like, <laughs> listen, listen to the patient, find the underlying cause of their presentation. Don't just write symptoms. Like, you know, give magnesium, give B6, give B12. And then there's me in the background going like, well, what kind of magnesium? Like what dose and what, like, and other people are like, I'm going, wait, there's more than one magnesium. And I was going, oh, like, oh, this is not actually like, like we don't have to be intimidated by this. Like, just because right. I'm not a Dan doctor, like it, as long as you have that, that drive to understand your patient and treat, like treat the individual with the condition, don't treat the condition. Mm-hmm. You'll be, you'll be fine. And there will mm-hmm. be cases you'll do, like I've sent you into Paris, France. I've. Like I've done every, I, I use all sorts of weird labs all over the country at times. And what I've learned though, is it's like, you, you can do all the complicated stuff and get nowhere with some patients and you can do the simplest thing and get everywhere. It's, it, and, and you don't necessarily know why, um, in all honesty, like I always say, you know, like 15% of my patients will, will kind of recover. Uh, 15% of my patients will have absolutely zero change no matter how much time and energy and money we throw at this kid mm-hmm. and like and zero like we, and, and that's a hard one mm-hmm. to admit out loud and 70 percent of them are somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. yeah and that's kind of what i i look at and because and, everybody wants that like absolute recovery and i i'm, yep. I'm very honest with people on that in, in when they come to see me for that that i'm like i don't know like we might do all of this and nothing happens but how would you feel if you didn't try Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Like, what do you uh, what do you recommend to like parents or caregivers of like autistic spectrum disordered individuals? Like, what? Because because especially with kids, it's not you're not just supporting the kids; you also support the caregivers and the parents. So, like, what? How how does there there's there's a takes a village kind of mentality? So, how do you get everybody right. on board? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, no idea. Uh, (laughs) that that's the toughest thing you'll run into is like, what is it? 80% of parents of autistic children end in 80% of marriages end in divorce. It's like, Hmm. like it, 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 like we talk about 50% of marriages end in divorce in the autism spectrum community. It's, it's 80%. It's a lot. It's very stressful experience. And especially if you have both parents not being on board. And, and it's, it's tough. I've, and that being said, I, mine is just be honest, be forthright about expectation, um, be caring, like listen and, and refer the parents as needed for like counseling and send them, like, I'm a very big resources guy. I, you know, I, I have a nutritionist that I work with to help parents practically implement things you know, is, is try to give them as many tools for practical use as possible, refer out where you need. And, but the biggest thing there is, is just try to like, you know, I, I always try to reframe it for them because if, if I have parents, especially when they're divorced and they're battling, I say like, Hey, is there any way I can have like a group call and, and help them understand where we're coming from or where the one parent is coming from without shaming the other parent, but just say, mm-hmm. Hey, look, like, we're going to do our, our oath is first do no harm. Like we're not here to hurt your kid. We're not going to try anything that might hurt your kid. We're here to try and help. And it's going to be difficult. And we're going to ask you to do things that are going to be very inconvenient. They're going to be tough, but I got to add, like, are, like, what are you, are you willing to work for this child? Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's kind of like when you say it that way, it puts it back on them that it's like, it's not about me. It's not about the parents. It's about the child. And I always kind of say like, look, like your, your life with this child, when you, you know, especially if there's shared custody, like it's like, you got to work hard to manage this child because they, they have higher needs. It's like usually. And so I say to them, like, my goal here is to make your experience with your child better. I want to improve your relationship. Like that's the, that's the purpose of this. It's not to fix a broken kid. It's mm-hmm. to, 
it's to improve all of your experiences in life. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and so that's, and I think when you kind of reframe it, that's the easiest way to overcome and, and address some of the parental concerns. And I have to say like some of my most skeptical parents are now like they should literally be Dan doctors. Like I have, I have a few parents that I see and they are the most well-informed um, sort of, you know, in the, on, on the biomedical approaches to autism that I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Like one, mm-hmm. one family, if he ever hears this, he'll love this shout out. Cause he was, <laughs> he was a little skeptical of me at the beginning uh, because he's protective of his family and his kids and yeah. he's, an eleva- he's an elevator repairman. And this guy knows more neurobiochemistry than most physicians now. Because every day at work, he would just listen to podcasts. He would listen to resources. He would go home at night and watch YouTube videos. He would, like this man worked at it. And it was kind of like once he saw a glimmer and once he sort of understood it, he completely reframed. And and he kind of got out of like, you know, just being protective of being taken advantage of, which I fully understand. And just just became like, like he's an incredible human being. Um, and and knows his stuff like they they've t- I've I've learned as much from that family as they have from me, and that's, that's the cool. one thing about working in this in, in this like field and working with neurodevelopmental uh, families is that you'll learn and see things like there's so much out there and it's listen to your patients they they teach you a lot. Yep. I have yeah. one patient, uh, one mother of an autistic spectrum patient, and she always comes in with new information or new research because that's they're so heavily invested where we have to spread our abilities across numerous people where they're yeah, zero, they're hyper-focused about the one thing. And they come in and I was like, oh, this is news to me. I actually have to look into this. Like, yeah, it's pretty yeah. incredible. Right. Like, imagine if you spent six hours a night on on one patient and like, but six hours a night, every night on that same patient, like yeah. the the approaches you would take and support yeah. groups and all like it's just yeah. like what they can provide far exceeds what we can. We just kind of, in, in many t- times I'm like helping facilitate, you know, like we're not allowed to do fecal transplant in Ontario and I, but I have patients that do it at home. Right. <laughs> they like, just, they and, just go ahead and, and do it. S- they just go ahead. They learn. They they learn the skill. They learn how to do it. They get san- you know samples from healthy people. They they figure it all out and they do it safely. And and some have had some have had success with it. Like I I very much think we should be pursuing that. I, I again, this is sometimes a lot where regulation. Um, I, I understand the purpose of protecting the public, but in in many cases, it's it's very 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 slow to keep up with the needs of the public. Mm-hmm. And it's very it's, much it's a stifling on innovation and, and how science can progress to support our clientele. Right. And, and how we can, as doctors, like ethically do, you know, it's kind of like off-label uses of items, right? Where, you, you know, you, you know that certain things are approved for certain reasons, but they also help in other areas. Right. Like, like, like St. John's word is like, I can't remember what the health Canada approval of it is for. It's for like restlessness, something like that. Like if you actually look at what the NPN for St. John's word is, it's ridiculous. It's a neural anti-inflammatory. The reason it's for, it's an antidepressant is because it blocks inflammation of the central nervous system. Hmm. Like that's how it works. It's not an SSRI. It's not about serotonin modulation. It's about calming down the central nervous system. I use that's the framework, right? That's the framework that we want to look at stuff is like neurotransmitter framework because that's how the drug, the drugs are basically made, right? Right, and they're studying it, and they're they're making synthetic versions of hypericin from St. John's work, and that's and but you know, but when you look at what it's approved for, it's like the label says like restlessness or something like Mm -hmm. that. Like I always laugh at that when. It's, it's Adrenoco or like Mediher products. Adrenoco, it literally says Adreno, but then it says good for coughs or something. And you're like, <laughs> what? Like mm. I find sometimes herbal medicine, it's because glycerize, like glycerizes in there. So I get it. But it literally says Adreno in the, in the title, but then you're saying it's good yeah. for like respiratory or lung yeah. And I was like, it's it's so confusing for patients because like, what am yeah. I taking this for? Well, John, you worked in regulation, right? So you know, like I worked in regulation yeah. too, and I know you'll do anything to get a claim. You just you got to get a claim to get it yeah. out. It may not yeah. be the best claim, but you right. got to get used, it out with a claim. 
Well, well, and that was it. We I remember there was a, a product um, for like coughs and colds, and it was, but it was like, you know, we threw in the base minimal amount of echinacea to get the cough and cold um, mm. label, but it was like that wasn't the product. It was mm. it was it was. No, there was a, it was elderberry. It was lemon balm. It was all these other things that had no cough and cold <laughs> claims, but that's what they're there for, right? That's wild. Like there's there's one of, one of my favorite adrenal formulas actually is like listed for like collagen formation because there's vitamin C in it, right. yes. and the, the the health claim on it is about the vitamin C, and you're like, it's but it's so <laughs> far off from what it actually is because it's just it's so disconnected from reality like ginkgo for memory ginkgo is a circulatory herb like it's for repairing small vessels and, and especially peripheral circulation and improving the elasticity of vessels i use ginkgo as a circulatory anti-inflammatory that's how i use mm-hmm. it phenomenal in migraines phenomenal in neural inflammation um and it's like and uh, one of the most overlooked you know herbs around and again it just but like the labeling is for something it's pigeonholed yeah yeah and it's and i just you know this is unfortunately fortunately unfortunately but this is like why you got to go see a good naturopath who knows these things and the number of times i'm trying to prescribe things for people you know men are going like why am i taking a menopause formula and i'm like Because that's what sells it because it's marketing. <laughs> like that's what the marketing department decided sells it. Yeah. And like, you trust me, you need this in helping to modulate your, your DHT levels. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I yes, had someone it's... taking a pro- prostate product because it had the right formulas for her hormones. And she was like, uh, okay. Right. I, <laughs> I, I, I was just going to say the exact thing, same thing. Like I use a prostate formula all the time in women for the soft <laughs> yeah. palmetto and hygiene. And you're like, I and it's and it's so hard because it's like well because the marketing department gets a hold of it and it like yeah. creates creatine for muscles right or, or yeah. muscle 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 yeah no creatine your, your creatine are, exactly creatine levels are four times higher in neurons than in muscles and research has shown improved short and long term memory central processing speed arithmetic ability and hand eye coordination another Jack and, Krause supplement he likes Jack yeah, I first it was the first supplement I ever formulated was a creatine for mm. uh, and I made it for neurological function. It's not mm. sold like that. It's sold for bodybuilders, no. but it's I use it all the time because it's 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 got tricreatine malate and creatine alpha ketoglutarate in it. The malate and alpha ketoglutarate being rate limiting steps in Krebs cycle. So it's all about mitochondrial energy formation. Well, smart meatheads, eh? Just just a, yeah, just a, yes. Well, that's it's like smart. the old joke, right? <laughs> it's and, so great. Right. And then you see what, what do we see? We use magnesium malate again in fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue patients. Oh, mitochondrial dysfunction. You're throwing some malic acid in there and making them better. And you'll see these same things over and over, but it's like, if you really look at it, it's that malate, which gets no love. Um, and that's why, you know, creatine malate, magnesium malates, you get the fibromyalgia, the, the neurological inflammation, mitochondrial inflammation stuff. You need the malic acid usually. And you're just augmenting a slow pathway. You're like helping just keep Krebs cycle turning. You've got a good brain, Beatty. Yeah, you do. Beatty's, I learned. Beatty's, Beatty's brain. I would love to just live there for a day. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's a bit of a mess. It's a bit of a wild jungle. I think you have to have the, 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 my wife talks about it all the time. Like the, the ability to kind of like follow my threads. Um, yeah. cause I organize, I organize things a little bit differently than most people, which again, probably, like I say, I would be, ASD diagnosis at some point in my life uh, when I was younger. But you've got a gift, sir. So what are like some of the biggest take-homes that we want to leave our audience with when it comes to like autistic spectrum disorder? Treat the person, not the disease, Mm -hmm. or, you know, treat the person, not the condition. Um, I don't even like calling it a disease. It's a condition or a state. Um, Be supportive and patient and really look at, like the big areas to look at is, inflammation neuromod and, and and not it's not always going to be elevated crps and esrs like it's it's mm-hmm. it's a little harder to, to manage um gut health gut health and gut health because it's also the window for getting most things into these populations do an assessment for heavy metals that's a huge one people often forget about aluminum mercury lead um lead is the number one cause of developmental delay of children in canada um mm-hmm. In Toronto, I think as of 2014, uh, 10% of households had toxic levels of lead in their drinking water. And my guess is is it's not better. Yeah, if you're in an old town and an old part of town, 
lead is a much more likely issue for you. And so you can do like urine chelation challenge tests. Um, so that's a big one. Look at like organic acid testing as well for just finding mitochondrial and metabolic disorders. And then, and then learn those pathways and figure out ways you can modulate it. And it can be a little trial and error, but it can be helpful. Um, and then, and, and yeah, and just um, infections, dysbiosis is the other area. So just kind of take the time to really assess those first couple of areas. And honestly, those are also the areas that when it is that, you'll see the best success. Um, and, and yeah, and that's, and, and don't be afraid to just kind of like start asking around, ask questions, you know, um, but, uh, yeah, and, and there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of, of wild kind of research that's gone on. And the one thing I'll say is autism one, they're all about helping other physicians learn. So there's a ton of free resources through them. Um, because the whole goal is, is helping the, the patient population. Most yeah. of that group is, is funded by, you know, their conferences and things, but they try to make their resources available to educate practitioners. Nice. So I'm a big, I'm a big, and that's why I'm a big fan of them. Cause their whole thing is like, we're not in this to like necessarily make a buck. Like, yes, we sell products and, and conferences and things in order to fund this, but it's so that we can fund the sharing of information. And what so was the I, name I, again? Autism uh, One. Autism One. Yeah. One it used to be. O-N-E. O-N-E, yeah, yeah. O-N-E. it used to be uh, Defeat Autism Now, and now they've become Autism One. Um, and the other was, Dan is now MAPS, which is members of the Academy of Pediatric Special Needs. So there's a lot of great resources out there, and a lot of autism docs will share their stuff. And I know for a while, Autism One wouldn't even put copyrights on any of their uh, conference hmm. materials so that they could be photocopied and shared. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love that. That's a very heart-centric type of community of just trying to really do the right thing and do right. good in this world and allow people to continue filtering that information out, which is incredible. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, uh, and we love you having you on the show. Yeah, man. So we'll, have you, we'll have you, we'll have you back again. again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, Hey, I love chatting with you guys. I love Brandon. I, like I, I joked about earlier, I like hearing myself talk. Um, but I also like, talking with other doctors and other interested people and people trying to better themselves. So you guys are awesome. Thank you so much again, John. My, I, I am smarter for having listened to you and uh, nice. we're going to get you on if you let us and should people stay tuned, you're going to do some courses. Is that true coming up? Yes. It is. Yeah. I, 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 my, I, I hit a little uh, technical hic- hiccup because I'm not the greatest at this and a couple of my recordings, I, killed the audio on so i'm re-recording but hoping to launch shortly and it'll be a functional medicine practice blueprint not about how to run a business but like how to structure a functional medicine approach mm. yeah stay tuned I, for that I, i'm, I'm, I'm going to be attend. interested attend yeah. yeah well this you know how to think man i i really yeah. i mean you know how to think and and that's that's more important sometimes than all those facts that i know you also stored in there because you're lucky enough to be able to do that but you know how to think and i think if we thought a little bit more in the way that you think um being a clinician will be a little bit uh more enjoyable so thanks so much for showing us how you think yeah well th- yeah. thanks for having me and yeah i appreciate it and yeah if we can just all kind of teach each other how to like assess and 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 be effective right like that's the really key is like how can we like my whole goal is that we all go out of business because everybody's healthy yeah like we're all smart people. We'll figure out something else to do. Like that's my yep. goal in life is to not be a doctor. Be a farmer. I think we're going to end with that. <laughs> right. Thanks, John. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank all you. Right. Always a pleasure.